<laughs> so have you ever walked behind a dog trying to catch their pee in a pot? Because <laughs> I have. And I tell you what, my expertise from my, all of my doping experiences, came, oh, anti-doping experiences, not actual doping. Sorry, I always say that. The anti-doping urine tests, which we did an episode on last year in the summer, which was quite popular. Well, it really came into handy because I know how to get pee in a pot. This time, slightly more difficult coming from my dog. Hang on a second. You had people following you to the bathrooms where you would pee. This is slightly different. I'm sure Sven did not tell you when he was about to pee. So were you literally sort of crouching along behind him with a pot waiting for him to pee? Pretty much. I had to get some Tupperware because I was... (laughs) Firstly, I was... Like, I don't want his pee in my Tupperware that I use for food. So I got, when I went to Sainsbury's, I got, you know, the really rubbishy, flimsy ones that you, that like, just don't cost much money at all. It's like a pound for a pack of six. So I got one of those pots. How much pee were you collecting? Well, not a lot in the end. Um, But yeah, he had a suspected uh, urine infection. So they said, get a pee sample. And I thought, yeah, sure. And then I suddenly realized this might be quite challenging uh so yes we were just walking around the roads i was looking like a complete lunatic and every time he went to pee i was just kind of shoving it underneath him and i managed to catch some so there we go and he got tested and he doesn't have an infection we're all good but uh yeah there we go easier than if you had a female dog because i always think that because obviously i've got twin boys and when they were very very little on one occasion i had to take them in for some routine checks at the hospital and you had to get a sample from a baby but obviously with a male baby it's just a touch easier if you see what I mean if you see where I'm I'm heading (laughs) yeah I do see where you're heading Uh, but with a dog I think it's actually easier with a with a dude with a dude dog Uh, because he kind of because also you know he cocks his leg so you know he's about to go and normally he's aiming for some sort of pole or lamppost and he misses so it just shoots past the lamppost so I just need to get on the other side of it and then it hits my Tupperware box and I just try try and contain it so that was my day yesterday and you know one of the one of the best presents I was given ahead of the boys being born was something called I think I get the name wrong was a a TPPP or a PPTP oh PPTP so you know you know what a TP is right yeah okay not that size imagine a tiny little TP made out of cloth and then when you go to change a little baby boy, because sometimes when you take the nappy off, if they need the toilet and the whole cold rush of air, you get a fountain that, that bounces off ceilings, walls, and, and largely you. So a, a TPPP, PPTP, when the nappy comes off, you put the little TP on and it stops any accidents happening. Nice. <laughs> Is that something like you it. just didn't need to know about? It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks. Just... Thanks for the info. So I've learned a new skill and some new information this week. <laughs> and there was me thinking that I was going to bring the, the ish to this podcast because I wanted to tell you about my goat walking experience last week. Oh, oh you took goats for a I walk? Took goats for, I took Eric for a walk. I took Eric the goat for a walk. It was part of the boys' birthday went to a farm. And part of the experience is all these goats, lovely goats, tiny goats, then big ones. Um, And they had collars on and they literally put leads on them and said, would you like to take them for a walk? One of the twins was like, yes, we had a little goat. But as soon as the gate opens, because it's green grass, the goats, you know, eyeballs pop out their head and they run. So I had one of the twins 
basically horizontally flying through the air <laughs> as this goat called Billy was like dragging him along to get some grass. Whereas I had, <laughs> I had Eric, who was a little bit more relaxed about these things and a bit bigger. But goat walking is a thing and they, they sort of run. They stop and eat for a little bit and then they run again. And it's goat walking. It's actually Do very they calming. need a walk? Do they not no. just graze? I mean, they would rather you weren't there. <laughs> they, you know, they don't need to be walking. No, they are walking you. In effect, you're not walking. Right. When they see another patch of grass or their friend goes for a wander, they run off and wander after their friend. So, they, awesome. so and then and when it comes to the only time when you should be walking them, when they need to go back in their uh, enclosure... Um, you, you, you're basically dragging, you know. I don't know if you ever do this with Sven, but you know, if he doesn't want to go somewhere and you're having to give him a little tug, you're literally doing that to get the goats back in the field. So, no, there's, you, yeah, it's the goats walk you, but it was, it was, it was actually, I would recommend it. I would recommend it. Oh, yeah, really? Goat walking. Mm. See? It just seems a bit unnecessary. I just feel like they don't need to and, be walked. And can I give you my last bit of information as I feel you're learning stuff today? This is from yeah. my homeschooling today. Do you know the name of a baby hedgehog? A baby hedgehog? Yeah. What is a baby hedgehog called? No. Spiky? It's called... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Spiky? A hedge, no, hedge. I don't, I don't mean its actual name, but what are they called? What's a baby hedgehog called? Spiky. <laughs> I'd call it Spiky, so I'm sticking with that. <laughs> uh, it's it, The official name of a baby hedgehog is a hoglet. Oh, right. Well, that does make sense. Not a hedgehoglet. No, just a hoglet. But that's just a hog. It's a baby hog. It was a hedgehog. But, hedgehoglet. But a hedgehoglet Hog. makes no, much more hoglet. sense. Yeah, but that's such a big word. Whatever. Just, I'm not having it. Look, you, there's something else you've learnt today. Hoglet. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciated. What have we learned about the tennis world in the last seven days? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I think more of the same. Really. Well, I was quite preoccupied with Battle of the Brits. So I was working on that tournament, Jamie Murray's event. Dan Evans ended up winning it. Andy Murray looked great throughout body actually held up better than I thought level was really good really competitive because it's it's weird because I know that these tournaments are exhibitions and we've got the UTS we've got things going on over in the states we had the one in Charleston for the women's we've already had a women's event in Prague we'll gloss over the Adria tour and (laughs) bring it back to (laughs) sensible tennis tournaments but it's almost the Battle of the Brits for me had a feeling of being in between an exhibition and an actual tour event because all of these players are so desperate to see where they're actually at, where their level is. They want to be ready for the tour to pick up again. You know, and we had such a great level. We had three of the guys. It was just men's, this event. We had three players inside the top 100 competing, which is very good for the, the UK. And actually, none of them were Andy Murray. Andy Murray was there as well, but he's just outside 100. <laughs> so that gives you four really, really strong players. And we had some awesome matches. But yeah, the level of competitiveness, it's not that it... Well, it's not that it surprised me. It just kind of impressed me. It's what I would hope that they would be able to put forward in an event like this. But look, a lot of the time, exhibitions are kind of turn up, play seven out of ten get the match done, have a nice time and then go back on the tour. Whereas this I thought was quite different. And I can tell you, Dan Evans, whew, 
He's top 30 and he's ready. It's just a little bit of a bummer that so many of the tournaments are going to be on clay over the next stretch <laughs> because that's not his best surface. But other than that, like, yeah, he just looked ready to go. I think Andy Murray, I wouldn't say he's ready, but he did manage to play four matches in five days. Tough matches as well, long matches, some of them, uh, and looked really good. One of the sets that he played was one of the best sets I've seen him play in probably over a year. It was really, really good. So Andy Murray fans can feel good. I wouldn't say get excited yet, but things look good. The trouble is, is that, you know, you're going to very quickly, okay, maybe he'll play Washington or Cincinnati, Cincinnati that will be in New York, but then US Open, best of five sets, it just, it, you know, it slams, it gets big very quickly, doesn't it? The tour now, everything's bunched up. So it's going to be quite an ask uh, for Andy, but great to see him out in action. And I thoroughly enjoyed the week. I think I heard Murray say that he would play Washington and then rest and then go to the US Open because that's something he is going to have to factor into his career more and more and more now is that the resting time. You can't just go tournament, 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 like he did at the back end of 2016 when he went on that incredible run and he got to world number one. But things... Things are really different now, but it was and it was great to see him as a coach because in the third, fourth playoff place, he was meant to be playing that. Didn't he pull out and then coach James Ward? Yeah, so James Ward replaced him. I mean, it was no great surprise that Andy pulled out a third, fourth playoff. <laughs> Firstly, it's a third, fourth playoff. Secondly, he was he was, had he did have some niggles. The hip actually was troubling him through the week, but it wasn't affecting his movement. It was just a bit uncomfortable. He also had some pain and discomfort in his shins and, and all that sort of stuff so there was nothing to be super concerned about but he just didn't want to play an extra match I'm sure he maybe he would have played if it was the final but you know who knows how was he as a coach how how were his <laughs> rants as a coach to a player it was exactly as expected <laughs> it's basically what he says to himself on court he was saying to James Ward except just he toned it down a little bit I think he's nicer to other players than he is to himself but one of the first coaching sessions he came on it was after a few games in the first set and he literally was just like James come on you've got two weeks to sit in your ass in Virginia let's let's get it all out on the court now because <laughs> James was just acting a little bit lethargic wasn't quite giving it you know that max intensity and whatever and <laughs> James's face was just oh okay and then he went out and then he was grunting really loudly and he was this he was that it was uh yeah it was quite funny but yeah no, Andy was he was fairly tough on him and that tournament was in part a large part the brainchild of Andy's brother Jamie and I have to say that the reaction on social media from people involved in tennis just saying what a wonderful event in terms of how it was handled in the current situation with coronavirus still present in society how it just how everything worked and how it came off everyone was like this and, and Jamie I remember him saying one of his interviews he's never going to complain <laughs> to a tournament director again having been one for this tournament well it's not an easy task to take on <laughs> I mean it is hard enough being a tournament director at the best of times where at least you have a model for how to run your event this was just completely start from scratch new rules a brand new event it was I can't even imagine the the challenge. I think they even said sort of if we have any money left over, we will give out some prize money. But we just they just had no idea how much it was going to cost because, again, there are so many restrictions and you have to get so much extra stuff. So much so much to consider that you wouldn't normally consider <laughs> there's just no model for it. So he's like, well, a normal tournament would cost this amount, but pff, could be double. <laughs> 
we'll see. <laughs> but no, I thought it was a fantastic job. I genuinely do not think there was anything more they could have done. And for those of our listeners who are not in the UK and weren't able to watch it, really every single precaution was taken. No matter how tiny the effect would have been in lowering the risk, they didn't change ends. They stayed on their benches. They stayed at each end. Like There was so much. They had no ball kids, but the coaches sat in the corners and had gloves on. So they kind of collected the balls to keep things sped up. There was, I mean, everything that you could possibly think of, I think, to make it safe, they did. Now, there still will be some element of risk, of course, but um, you've got to, got to hand it to them. I think they really did that. And they're not the only event. As I say, I've been watching a lot from Charleston uh, out in the States with uh, the women playing out there. That looked like so much fun. I was looking at that. Slightly different vibe to Battle of the Brits because it was a team event. But that was just kind of like, oh, I want to be involved in that. I, you know, just really had a, a nice vibe about it. Uh, team peace against team kindness, which <laughs> I don't know if that's quite my thing. But <laughs> I mean, look, I'm all for peace, but <laughs> you know what I mean? And a little bit of kindness. <laughs> Sometimes kindness. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be on team ruthless. It took me... To... <laughs> It t- and she, she would. It took me a few matches of watching the Battle of the Brits after the first change that doesn't happen. And they came back the same end. I was like, no, that's not right. It was just, you know, after the one game, I'm thinking, oh, they've come back out the same. It, it took me a couple of matches <laughs> to think, of course, they are not changing. But it's like the next gen tournament that we worked on for a couple of years now. That just took a few matches to get to grips with the scoring, the line calls by Hawkeye. It's just not what we're used to. But as I say, they were doing everything because of the current situation. <laughs> The fallout from that continues, but we had a question from Louisa via Twitter saying, have either of you heard whether athletes who have tested positive for COVID-19 may face difficulties with lung capacity once they're back competing? What might that mean for an infected tennis player? Ooh. Are you not, you, you answer. Well, no, I just think, it, I think the same as you from what we've heard of and from the players that we've heard of that have contracted it wonderfully for them. They've either been asymptomatic or the symptoms have been fairly mild. I mean, Gregor Dimitrov, it felt like he didn't have the great symptoms and when he had to return home to self-isolate, but I haven't heard of, and it might be partly because they are athletes and they are fairly young and they are in very good condition that might be part of it but I don't know about you but I I don't I no one springs to mind that I've heard of the actual tennis players who have been struck completely down by it no I've not heard of anyone within tennis or within any other sport actually that has had uh, symptoms to such a level that potentially would cause damage to the lungs. Look, there's a lot of info coming out saying that there is lung scarring, some long-term damage. I know that when we look at the numbers, everybody just focuses on the deaths, but a lot yeah. of people would have been seriously ill and recovering and, and that could affect them for years or potentially even longer. We just haven't had anyone within tennis or other sports that I know of be seriously ill. So they've just kind of been on the lighter side of um, of the symptoms. But, you know, I'm sure part of that is to do because of being young and fit and healthy and that sort of thing. And I, I for me, I'm far more concerned about the teams, the entourage, even if it's just one coach. I know of, of many coaches who will not travel to tournaments because they are at risk. And, and you know, that's slightly different. They're not 
young fit athletes who could run 10 miles every day they that you know they're different maybe they used to be but as i can attest it takes a, a real toll on you not doing anything for a few years so i mean that's i think that's the the main concern if you think about us open going ahead to that 256 players on site plus at least 256 members of teams coaches or strength and conditioning coach trainers that sort of thing coming uh, and no they are not in the same shape as athletes of course not they're, they're normal people they're like us <laughs> and I think as we've we've touched on before you know number of these athletes saying you know wonderfully I feel fine I'm asymptomatic and we go back to the Adria tour and, and, and Djokovic traveling while presumably he did have it because he tested positive once he got home and Gregor Dimitrov traveled after he had tested positive etc and yes they may be fine and that's a wonderful thing you want everyone to be well but it's the people they might come into contact with who have an underlying condition who really might get struck down by it that that's that's the issue here with the traveling and the teams and with possibly <laughs> Sasha Zverev would you like to talk about Sasha Zverev who has said that he tested negative following the Adria tour but Goran Ivanisevic had two negative tests before he released and said he's now tested positively for corona it's the having the discipline if you have been around somebody that has it yeah well i mean i'm not gonna lie i don't particularly want to talk about it anymore i feel like i said my piece last week and that hasn't really changed okay so how shocked were you how surprised were you at this video that was circulating of Sasha Zverev apparently in the south of France at a very busy event. I think he was with some German designer and his girlfriend and some other people dancing, etc., etc. after releasing six days prior to that, a, a little one of those iPhone notes saying, I'm really sorry if I've done etc., etc. I am negative, but I'm going to self-isolate uh, for 14 days. I don't think I was that surprised. I was fairly disappointed with it. It's just a shame because... He just lied, didn't he? Said he was going to self-isolate and then did nothing of the sort. Quite the opposite. Uh, so, I mean, there's one thing kind of doing slightly loose isolation where you might go out for a run or a walk and might come into contact with people outside. But to be in a packed room with people at a wedding with everybody close to you sharing food and all sorts, I mean, that's pretty extreme. It's the most anti-isolation you could ever do, really, isn't it? It's completely the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> So it is disappointing and it just really, for me, it's just, look, he's just one player and you know, if he wants to be irresponsible, that's it's down to him. There are lots of people around the world being a bit irresponsible with it and it just does call into the question, as I said, 256 athletes at the US Open, how are they going to manage that? What What's going to happen with the Adria Tour? We had one positive test and then we shut everything down because they feared that other people would test positive which is exactly what happened other athletes did uh, we've also had in golf one athlete test positive and then other athletes test positive because you know this thing's contagious that's how it works so like out of 256 players traveling from all over the world plus at least another 256 uh, members of, of coaching teams i mean the chances of somebody testing positive I mean, it's it's got to be significant, hasn't it? I don't really know the maths, but it just seems like it's quite a real possibility. Do we? Do they just shut down the US Open then and there, like they did with the Adria Tour, or 
what? Well, they talked about the US Open about the bubbles and everyone would be in their bubbles and there'd be enough space between competitors so the corporate boxes will be turned into individual dressing rooms and and all the concourses and the area outside where the restaurants are that's just going to be for the players so they believe that they have enough space to keep people in their bubbles but it's whether you can trust the players and remember they've now said it's not just a couple of hotels by the airport that people if they're willing to finance it themselves can have a house not in Manhattan but they can have so how do you police people I get in a hotel you can keep an eye on people though people can sneak out but how do you police people in a house so it must it must be a concern for the organizers of the US Open they're trying to do everything possible to stage this event and to stage it safely but when they hear the things that have been happening and see the things, it must worry them. Because as you say, it's, you know, if you suddenly have to shut down the US Open after everything is underway, or, or how do you how do you contain it? They believe they've got everything in place to contain little bubbles, but it's, uh, it has to be, it has to be a concern. Well, yeah, for sure. I, it, that's just my biggest question mark, is what if somebody tests positive? Because... That, yeah, that's just the, the, the difference. Okay, I know they won't be hanging out in nightclubs or they shouldn't be, that sort of thing. The US Open will be different to the Adria Tour. But I mean, what if somebody has played against somebody else? Say I played against somebody, I lost that person and the next day I test positive. Does that person that I played against have to pull out because we've touched the same balls and we've been in, you know, we've been on the same court? Like, I... I would I would say yes because in in the UK we have track and trace system, and they're working on that as if you've been in the same vicinity or within the two meters or less for fifteen minutes or more, then you have to inf- or that person has to be informed and they have to isolate for fourteen days. And I know a tennis court is bigger than that, but you would think if you have been around each other for that long, and then I I would say the answer is yes, but I mean maybe. Maybe it's not. It, it, it's a. It's going to be. Very, what if very your difficult. umpire from your match yesterday mm. tests positive, and that you know there there are going to be thousands of people on site? Does does that mean because you were kind of in relative close proximity, or would you say, well, you were outside and you weren't close to him, so or her, so it's fine? Like I don't know. I mean, are they going to have to make a call case by case? What if my opponent's coach tests positive? What like, you know, and then they say, right, okay, the coach is banned from sight, but you're still playing against the player. And I say, well, I don't want to because their coach tests positive and they've been in the bubble. Yeah, everyone in that bubble would then surely have to self-isolate. So maybe not, maybe not the umpire, but if in your bubble is, and I know they've loosened it a little bit, so it's your coach, your physio, and use I don't know say that's your bubble surely that whole bubble has to self-isolate it can't be well your coach is banned from sight because you will have been in close contact with your coach for more than 15 minutes but then all you can do is tell people to self-isolate like Sasha Zverev has been told to self-isolate he was in a bubble with multiple people who tested positive he has not self-isolated he's gone to a wedding he's Come on. You know, Dominic Team has not self-isolated. He's been everywhere. <laughs> he's be, he's traveling from country to country to country. And I get it. He says, I'm the most negative person on tour. But it's just, it's not the point. It's all about the enforcement. How do you enforcement? Okay, you can put fines into place. But when you're dealing with multimillionaires, is that really going to bother them if they want to go somewhere? And they think, well, this might cost me 10 grand. But surely this is different. I know we have the, the Adria tour and, and you can say, well, that was the same and that people were still not being tested and, and doing whatever but surely 
this is different than I just don't want to do that press conference. I'll pay the fine. This is people are dying of this. This is a global pandemic. So surely, surely, surely they have to respect that and they have to have strict things that if you break it I don't know you're out I don't know you but the part that there will always be some players who aren't respecting it whether they believe that they've already had it and that they can't then you get kick it again. them out and I think that's Sasha's very because he believes he had it at the start of the year I'm not sure if he had any antibody testing around the time or even if it was around then because he believes it was right at the start of the year didn't he so he's probably thinking hey but as we touched on last week I've got the antibodies but I was told be very careful we don't know how long they last for his he may have had them they may have gone if he did have it it's I and I, I get what you mean that there'll be some people that don't play by the rules or bend them or push them. But I think in a case of a Grand Slam where you are putting so many people at risk almost because you're putting so many people in one place, it has to be if you break them, you're out. Sure, whoever whether you're the world number one to the world number whoever, surely it's just you're out, right? It's not this isn't an exhibition, this is a Grand Slam for points and for prizes. How did he get it in like January? Did he have like a secret New Year's bash in Wuhan or something? No, <laughs> no but how, you must have come across, I've come across so many people who tell me about a problem they had with breathing in January. There was apparently a case in France in December. Now, I'm not sure if, if any of the people I've spoken to, I haven't been tested for antibodies. And I was told that they probably still wouldn't be there by now because one of the latest studies was they last six months. But you must have come across people who've said, I do remember being really ill in about January or February. Well, I've had loads of people say that they think they've had it, but probably not back to to January, really. But uh, yeah, look, I don't know. Look, I really want the US Open to go ahead. I, I Because if if the US Open faces disaster like we saw on the Adria tour and I will call it a disaster because I just don't think it could have gone any worse um if a similar thing happened at the US Open and there was some sort of breakout I think that would really jeopardize the rest of the season I don't believe the Adria tour has jeopardized the rest of the season it's an exhibition it was eight players and most of them most of them I think have learned their lesson and have said yeah we probably shouldn't have done that we got swept up in it you know, whatever. Some of them haven't, clearly, and don't care. But I think if the US Open came into difficulty like that, and there are so, there are going to be thousands, like there's thousands of people going there. I know there's no crowd, and I know that it's limited, but it is still such a colossal amount of people to have in, in one space. So I, I know they've got the social distancing, and I do feel really positive about it on the whole, but I just... You know, look, you know what I'm like. I work on worst case scenarios. What happens if this all goes pear shaped? Uh, <laughs> so that's what that's all I want to know. <laughs> and Nick Kyrgios continues to call out his his peers, his colleagues, his whatever you want to call them on social media while driving and doing Insta stories. <laughs> uh, but he's... I don't know if that's illegal in, in Australia, though, because in America, it's not illegal to film yourself on your phone whilst driving. You can text whilst driving. You can make phone calls. None of that's illegal. In the UK, it's very illegal. Can we just say that just should be a blanket illegal thing that you shouldn't do that? But you're right. It, it's, I don't know. Yeah, that... in America, you can just text as you're driving. Like, it's just, it's, it's maybe on the motorway or highway it's just it's crazy so i don't know it might actually be legal in australia i don't know and, and it's where he decided to do his video and a lot of people it was um, ben rothenberg a friend of ours who 
initially someone sent it to him, posted that video of Sasha Zverev, and he said in his replies, why is everyone tagging Nick Kyrgios? What about all the other <laughs> players on tour? And But Nick Kyrgios did duly reply with this Insta story. He, that's why people tagged him. <laughs> because they knew, because they knew he's something. the only one who might pipe up. There's no point in tagging Roger Federer and saying, Fed, what do you think of this? He's not going to say anything, is he? But who bit to the latest Nick Kyrgios post? <laughs> Boris Becker. I mean, we've had the word rat, the word donut, all, all these insults flying around today, which is Tuesday as we record this. It got personal, didn't it? Quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> really personal. So look, I think we were texting about this earlier, like as it was happening, we were following the, the tweets as they were going. And it... You said, look, it's a bit of a double whammy because, of course, he's going to defend Djokovic. He was his coach for such a long time, has always been very close to the Djokovic team. And also, he's German Davis Cup captain and it's Sasha Zverev. He's going to defend him. So it kind of is a double whammy if you know he's going to defend anyone in a completely ridiculous way, which is entirely wrong. Then this is, these are the sorts, these are the players that he will defend. But he said that there was so much, as I say, he... He put hashtag rat towards Kyrgios and Kyrgios called him a donut. But there was there was one point, there was one message from, from Becker when he was saying, you know, there's a player's code of conduct. You don't talk about what goes on on court or in the locker room. And someone made the point, it wasn't on court. It wasn't in the locker room. This is, exactly. this is a global pandemic. And, and this guy who had said himself was going to self-isolate for 14 days, had left the country where he was due to be self-isolating, was partying in somewhere completely different. Um, and it was, if someone takes the video, someone, one of his friends or acquaintances posted that video. It was there. It was taken down. It was there for everyone to see. And Becca was like, well, no, you know, what goes on on court stays on court. There was no tennis court in sight. <laughs> Just, I mean, surely, surely, if you're doing something like that, the first thing you do with your friends is you say no social media you can take videos yeah. you can take pictures but don't yeah. you dare put this online i shouldn't be here okay that's just it and i think poor old luca pui was was caught up in, in one of the shots someone spied pui who i think had withdrawn or pulled out of the of the uts tournament and he'd obviously made his way there as well. He was just sat quietly, but he was caught in the back of one of the photos. But it's just, yeah. And I think, you know, the Becca Kyrgios thing, it got a lot of traction on, on social media today with the insults of donut and rat being thrown around. But then Boris Becker sort of turned it around a bit and said, you've just got to fulfill your potential. I think you're good enough to win a Grand Slam. You could be amazing. Yeah, it did kind of <laughs> flit around a bit. It was quite entertaining, I have to say. But... uh yeah, not all of it made complete sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, happy anniversary, by the way. You preempted it last week by thinking we went a week too early last week on our anniversary. But this week, with it being Wimbledon, this was the week two years ago, two years ago, where we yes. published our first ever podcast. I know. The first one, two years ago. Happy anniversary. I know. Happy anniversary <laughs> to you as well. Happy birthday. We're two. Can you believe it's two? Can you believe it's two years? I can't actually. It seemed like quite a daunting prospect putting out a podcast every week for two years, even one year to be honest. When we started, but we kind of managed it. But the funny thing is, and and sometimes you thought, you know, what are we going to talk about after we run through some stuff? Is there going to be enough stuff to talk about? Yet before we started recording today, 
I think we were talking for over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I suddenly I suddenly looked at my clock and I thought, there's going to be children sort of clawing at the door, the bedroom door where I'm in, <laughs> saying, when are you, you going to feed me? When are you going to teach me something with homeschooling? And I thought, wow, we've been taught. So look, we talk loads anyway, all the time, a lot of the time. Yeah, to be honest, day. I mean, by the end of the podcast, normally I'm kind of flagging because we have had a chat for an hour already. <laughs> <laughs> and then we continue chatting and it's kind of like we're in hour three of our chat and I'm just like I'm and then like, we talk then we talk after yeah, and finish <laughs> uh, it's a whole afternoon it normally it, it's either Sven needing to go out for a pee or one of my children going mummy <laughs> it's weird I have said this before how normal life feels because we've been doing this for so long what three three four months but this should be Wimbledon we yeah. should be working together. And and Faith sent us an email and she was actually asking about how she felt, you know, the Adria tour might impact on the calendar going forward. And she also said, and this was sent yesterday, plus it's sad times when day one Wimbledon means watching the Go Jetters Wimbledon episode for some action. And I don't even have children. Oh, <laughs> oh I know. It's, it is sad, isn't it? It's a, this one hits home because for me, it's the best two weeks because it's just, oh. It's Wimbledon and it's just so special, but yeah, not happening, I'm afraid. But the good news in terms of, because we haven't seen each other in the flesh since Christmas, is that in a couple of weeks time, we're going to be working together. I know, I can't believe it. It's so exciting. We are going to be working on the uh, Progress Tour British Championships, British Women's Championships. British Women's Championships. Okay, there you go. Progress Tour, yep. British Women's Championships starting soon. Uh, and that'll be really good. I'm looking forward to it. So that's, again, it's just it's similar to Battle of the Brits for the men. It's the women. They'll be battling it out. I think everybody's playing apart from Joe Conta. Yep. Heather Watson today, Tuesday, took a wild card into the event, which is great. And I think for me, there's a, there's a lot of players on this list that I don't know an awful lot about. But I think it's a really good opportunity to get to know some of the players, some of the, the female players that we have in British tennis. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I can't wait. It'd be good to give them a little bit more of a platform. It's a women's only event and there'll be lots of focus on that. And you know what? In, in the UK, I don't know what it's like around the world, but we just don't have any women's sport on at the moment. That seems to have all been canned yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. It was kind of the first thing, you know, women's football, I think the season just got cancelled and yep. it, everything just kind of just, okay, let's just scrap it. Let's just wait and that sort of thing. And they've been trying to, to get the men's stuff up and running. So this is a real opportunity. You know, there's an appetite for sport. Everyone's been deprived of sport. And, you know, we can get, for me, the best female athletes in the world out on court because for <laughs> me, tennis is the best female sport in the world by a country mile. Uh, actually, that's not even for me. That's just a fact. And <laughs> we do have some of the best athletes in the world in the sport. So I think it, it is a really good opportunity to show that. It's the National Tennis Centre in London. I mentioned we're working together, which is I'm thinking about bringing your wedding present with me. Yes. Which is going to be a anniversary present now because you've been married for quite a long time but I'm thinking of bringing that with me as well no it, it's going to be great to be back working quite weird at the same time yeah I think it's it's definitely going to be hard just to kind of I don't know it's just like anything right you get into a rhythm you kind of get into a routine with it all we're going to have to start from scratch and something else I don't know if I mentioned this that last week I told you I did the antibody test got those I've <clears throat> excuse me I've been accepted onto the 
the blood plasma trials. So if you think you've had it or you've been tested for it, they take your plasma, your blood plasma. Uh, it takes about an hour, I think it is. And there's centres all over the UK. And then they can use that in trials to treat people with coronavirus. Oh, that's great. But I have a fear. I have a fear of needles. <laughs> so they were they were running me through the procedure. And I was like, oh, I was like, let's just not talk about it. I'll see you then. I'm going to be there. I'm happy to do this. But let's just not talk about the process. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I'm not surprised you're scared of needles. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, and they run through lots of questions. And they say, do, do you have any piercings? I'm like, no, I don't like needles. Do you have any tattoos? No, still don't like needles. And they were like, <laughs> so you know how we're going to take your blood plasma? And I was like, yeah, no, no, I've got that. We're just not going to talk about that. It's just going to happen. It's going to be fine. So it yeah, takes, about, takes about 50 minutes yeah, to run through a few questions to see if you're eligible to. But look, it, it's it's something easy I can do because I've got these antibodies. So let's just let's just do something for this. So uh, I'm I'm not going to say I'm looking forward to it, but I'm, I'm happy to be doing it. Is that the right yes. way of putting it? Yes. No, no I, I think so. And the bikes, the bikes. The boys have got the bikes. We've got two birthday bikes for the boys right. from last week's birthday. They haven't fallen to pieces. They like them. They're happy. And, and I've thought of another good thing. Many good things to having twins. Another good thing. You only have to do a child's birthday once a year. Yeah, that is that, that's done. That's great. Yeah, you just go big for one day. Did I tell you about my quiz? Which one? Oh, I don't think I told you. No. So I was on uh, BBC Radio Kent to do. How did you not tell me about a this? sports quiz? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I go on. I go on Radio Kent, kind of, you know, as much as I can whenever they ask me to. Really, you know, that's Lovely. my local station. Yep. I'm from Kent. They used to cover me all the time when I was at Wimbledon, and you know, poor, poor, poor them. They just hang around for hours and hours trying to get to speak to me. I was the only reason they were there, <laughs> and I'd finally get to them. I'd be like, I'm so sorry. Um, but anyways, they asked me to do this sports quiz uh, on Friday. And... As in be part of it or host it? Oh, no, be part of it. Right. And I said to them, there is a, oh, let's just say there's like a 70% chance I'm going to humiliate myself. And they're like, that's good. <laughs> we just need content. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> so like, okay, great. So I was like, that's fine. They said, tell you what, we'll throw in some home questions for you Lovely. about tennis. Make life easier. Right. So I think I got most of those right. I got one wrong, I think. Um, but anyway, so there was a sudden death question. The fact you got to sudden death is good. It means you didn't humiliate yourself. No, no, no. So we were on. So I answered all of my questions right. first, and I got sort of four points or something. Out of how many? And then, oh, only out of like six. It was oh, okay. <laughs> so okay, like six fine. questions, something like that. <laughs> so I answered all my questions first, and then this other person who was a a, a football correspondent uh, for I think he was. Nottingham Forest? I'm not sure what he was. Anyway, um, anyway, so he was a football correspondent and he uh, he was doing, so he did his set of questions. We ended up on the same points until he still had one question left. So basically, if he got the question right, he would win. If he didn't, we'd be tied enough to do a tiebreaker question. And so the question was, um, how many professional tennis titles has... Naomi Cavaday won <laughs> and I just thought oh my god they're going to ask me to tell him whether he's right and I, I just don't know like, I, I, I don't know how many I, I was just think. worried that you were going to ask me and I was like I haven't got a clue no <laughs> and anyway so he just basically took a punt and was like six and then they came to me and they were like is he right and I just oh. went well I said well I know I've won three <laughs> 
So I'm going to go with three. And they were like, okay. no, you've won six. <laughs> I was like, and I honestly, I was like, oh. so adamant. I was like, no, I haven't. Where have I won six? So then we kind of went through them all. And I was like, okay, I won six. So not only did I struggle a little bit with the home questions, because I got some obvious one, I got an obvious one wrong. Uh, the, the, the really home question, which was about me and my life, I was, I was miles away. But hang on, we've got to give credit to the Nottingham Forest football reporter whose name you've forgotten, if you think that's the football team he covered, <laughs> who got the fact that you won six titles. I know, he just was like, I think six. That's yeah. amazing. I know, I know. So he'd right. done his research on you before he'd come on the quiz. He had, because I think that's they it. told him to do that. I had not done any research on him, so I'm glad <laughs> they didn't ask me anything. Yeah, that's coming across. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations for not humiliating yourself and getting to the sudden death and not knowing how many titles you'd won. <laughs> well, no, I think I very much humiliated myself. That was okay. uh, that So was I think, you know what, maybe in commentary, because we're going to work in together, let's just, at some point, we're going to get in the fact that you won six titles, or I might just ask you. <laughs> commentary. Well, I know now. I'll say, so Navi, how, how many titles? How many titles did you win in your professional career? <laughs> yeah. He was like, Do you not remember winning in Stockholm? You won two titles there. And I was like, Oh, yeah, two. I won those back to back. And you didn't uh, remember? No. Oh, my word. This is, this is what old age does to us. We start, we start forgetting these things. I didn't pay much attention to my career. Why would I? <laughs> Congratulations on your six titles. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and happy anniversary. Two years this week for, for tennis. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, happy anniversary. And I, I do think I can hear a fingernail or a little finger clawing down the bedroom door. I've already had Sven scratching at the door and he's pushed his way in. He's now under the bed. So I've got to, I've got to go and talk about baby crocodiles, having done baby hedgehogs, having, having sorted out Ooh. hoglets. What's a baby crocodile? Well, I think, I think, I think because they're, they're, uh, crocodiles lay eggs. So I think they're called hatchlings, but I don't know if that's... Right. I've, I don't know. I've got the hoglets, I think. we'll. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, I, I'm off to do baby crocodiles and get ready for us working together. Yes, I can't wait. We'll do, we'll do another pod before we work together because yep. we've got a couple of weeks. Yep. But, yeah, so looking forward to it. All right, go and take Sven for a walk. Don't follow behind oh. him. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Good luck.